Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Juicebox Podcast. This is episode 760. Today I'm going to be doing an After Dark episode with Jonathan. And Jonathan reveals so much about his life and his life with type 1 diabetes that I don't rightly know how to title this episode. It's definitely an After Dark, though. You're going to have to listen to find out more. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you enjoy this After Dark episode, there are almost 30 others, ranging from drinking to weed smoking, eating disorders, drug use, everything. You can find a complete list of them on the Juicebox Podcast Facebook page in the Featured tab. Or go into your podcast player and search Juicebox, one word, podcast after dark after dark two words they should all pop right up in front of you by the way i'm looking for a serious weed smoker with a great a1c to be on the show reach out if that's you if you enjoy the juice box podcast and moreover enjoy that it's free and plentiful you have a few people to thank for that those people are the advertisers dexcom omnipod Jivo Kypopen, the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter, US Med, Touched by Type 1, and InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. You can find a list of all the sponsors at juiceboxpodcast.com or in the show notes of your podcast player. But today's episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod 5. Learn more about the Omnipod 5 at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. The podcast is also sponsored today by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. Get the blood glucose okay, meter that my daughter carries yeah, at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Okay. My name is John. I'm a type 1 diabetic uh, living on the East Coast for 43 years. And uh, I'm a social scientist and a musician, a dad. Uh, recovered alcoholic and drug addict, and currently am uh, suffering through autonomic neuropathy and gastroparesis. Okay. Well, that just gives us plenty to talk about, doesn't it, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 How old were you when you were diagnosed? Three years old. Wow. 40 Three years, years old. Is that, yeah. is that 82? Ah, uh, 79. 79. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry. I did... I did the wrong math. Uh, 79. Okay. Yeah. Three years old, 1979. Diagnosed yeah. back then. I think we know the story, right? You were using probably, gosh, regular. Did your parents ever talk to you about this? Do you know what it was like? It was, it, I, re, I have, uh, there's vignettes of it that I remember. Because there was a series of events. Mm -hmm. um, the first was that my father's mother had passed away. And it was when we were um, transitioning from moving in a transition, we were moving from Texas to Michigan and on the way I got really sick. So we had a family member just die and um, you know, I got really, really sick and 
shortly after recovering from that virus, um, I was peeing all the time, just constant urination, Mm -hmm. bedwetting and these kinds of things. Right. Um, so my parents didn't really know what was happening from, and they did not talk about it. Um, they actually use like corporal punishment to try to get me to stop urinating, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, they were kind of fundamentally like, um, you're not adjusting to this stressful time. Like you should, you need to keep up mentality. Yeah. You know, they were, they were under a lot of pressure too. Mm-hmm. So they used a little force to try to, uh, get things calmed down, but it just wasn't turning around. Right. And you were three for perspective. I was right? three. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Are you there? Um, are you their first kid by any chance? No, I'm in the middle. In the middle. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, yep. so when, when hitting you didn't make you stop peeing, then what happened? Well, uh, we ended up, Fortunately, we ended up in Michigan. We were in Northwest Michigan, which now has just exploded. If, you, if you've ever been up, up there, there's a lot of great lakes, brings in a lot of people, a lot of clear water. Uh, pri- around this time, there was not that many people there. So fortunately for us, there was a doctor who was affiliated with U of M. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as soon as they brought me in, he knew. He was like, Type one diabetes. Yeah, let's get him checked immediately. That quick. Yeah, uh, real quick, John. Yeah, yeah. John, does the microphone go any closer to your mouth? Sure, sure. I can position. Okay. How's that? Is that better? Um, I'm not sure. I'll need you to talk for a moment. But how, so the okay. doctor just upon seeing you thought this is type one. Running down the symptoms of what had happened and the duration, he was just, uh, you know, we that's the first test we need to run. Right. Okay. And it, it just was, um, you know, top of his list. And um, U of M, as I came to understand, it always had um, a pretty good med med program. Mm-hmm. So that was not surprising in, in reflection. I was like, wow, we really got lucky because this was kind of the boonies where we moved. I see. I was, it, was, it was just out back, um, rural Michigan. And... Uh, so uh, I ended up in the hospital and on IVs and things. And I remember the beds. The beds were really interesting because it was kind of, I couldn't figure it out. They had the bars to keep you from rolling out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it looked kind of like a cage. But to me, it looked playground-ish. I remember having that thought. And uh, my folks were just devastated. Like, yeah. uh, I have vignettes of watching my mother, like... Um, be hit with waves of, um, you know, just, just emotion yeah. falling apart. I don't know what kind of name to put on it and just kind of really rocked her up and, uh, getting, uh, pep talks from my dad. Like we're going to have to deal with this, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I'm going to give you this injection. It's going to happen every day. You know, we had to go through, um, them learning how to inject insulin and, uh, Fortunately, the doctor was really, really on his, on his toes and he was familiar with treatment at that time, which was very routine based mm-hmm. portions of food, timing of insulin, you know? Um, but other than that, it was like peeing on sticks. Yeah. Uh, if, if you tried to do move outside of the bounds of the, of the program. Um, so yeah, those are the first memories. Right. That. That's fascinating that you recall anything from that time. 
really. Yeah. I don't even, I don't know. I, I'm starting to wonder even about my memories in general. I'm starting to think that my memories are just from photos that I see more frequently than other photos. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even, I don't even know. Like I, you know, I, I, I key in on certain things that happened when I was younger that I feel like I remember. But now if I look back, there's a photo of it and someone told me a story about it. And it's, it's just very interesting how that all, um, how that works, because I don't think I remember a damn thing from when I was two years old. Um, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a lot. Right. These, you know, these, these uh, moments were like really, really high stress and the information is bolstered, um, ver- verified through asking questions about it. Like yeah. I've hit my parents up being like, do you recall, was this true? What was, you know, what, mm-hmm. what happened? Did, uh, you know, was mom unable to give me that first shot herself? It, stuff that you think you remember and you're not sure of, then they, then yeah. they, they can kind of come in and, and back it up for you one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. They, they verified it. I mean, at, at the same time, you know, I'm a really, really delicately wired individual. How so? How so John? Well, just stress has always been a, a prime component in my foundation. Um, so my attention, you know, with, your average stress response comes like a hyper-focus attending to the things in your environment. And I've always been a guy who's looking for the next hit to come, you know, Um, even just meeting people. Like I pre, I I bolused before we were talking because talking to strangers will shoot me up to 200. If I don't, you're anxious right now. Am I right? We always, yeah, just talking to people. Right. I could be, I was playing guitar in the park and a harmless 91 year old man came to talk to me uh, four days ago and my blood sugar shot up to 200, hmm. you know, always, just due to um, anxiety. Always been like that? As long as yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, I borrowed that phrase from a really, really nice lady. I thought that that was a good way to put it that, yeah, just really delicately wired. Yeah. Like, um, no, I understand what you mean. I, I, I do. So, so this is your whole life, diabetes, and mm-hmm. you know, you're doing things very old fashioned ways. I would imagine you don't get to faster acting insulin for probably geez, 10 years, maybe. Yeah. Is that yeah, about yeah. right? Yep. I was on, uh, you know, pure pork, you know, NPH long, uh, you know, the story of the waves, uh, the timing, the waves mm-hmm. of, of peaks and these kinds of things and, um, eating around them. Yeah. And, uh, blood testing only happened when you went to the hospital for a really long time. Right. In that, yeah. in that 10 year time frame, did you ever experience dangerous lows or anything like that? Constantly. Constantly, uh, night terrors were a regular occurrence. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of seizures from low blood sugars. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. These kinds of things. And, um, by the time we hit pubescence, it really, really, really got hectic. Is this when the, is this when like the other part of your story kicks in? Like I'm trying to figure out, I'm, I'm looking at the things you talked about when you first came on and, and the list of things that you sent me here, um, mm-hmm. you know, so 
like it looks like drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Was there some self harm? Yes, yes, yes. I've uh, carved things into myself in high school. Uh, attempted suicide three occasions. Uh, and when does that when does that begin for you? Like when does that turn happen? Um. You know, I think it's just the bag got too heavy, but I, I was aware of it filling pretty early on. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the circumstances, I don't want to point the finger of blame at anybody because humans are just really, really complicated. And if you're around long enough, I think some of those knots become untied, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always hold out the, uh, hold out for hope. But you know, my dad was like a Vietnam vet and a former police officer who had gotten two PhDs in psychology. So he's like a really complex individual. He's really, really violent. Um, you know, my mother and her family did not get along. There was not like a lot of support. There's a lot of silence and willpower. And for a person kind of composed like I am, that just doesn't work real well. Like uh, I would say I would characterize myself as a tough individual and, you know, have a deep well of willpower, but the use of force threats, you know, these kinds of things, like I've never been about that, Right. but that was in the house a lot of time. And that started filling the bag up and it was diabetes centric, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, um, I remember I, I stole, uh, uh, like a bear claw <laughs> Okay. out of, uh, it wasn't Dunkin' Donuts at the time. It was a different donut company, um, that later became Dunkin'. Uh, but I, I stole a bear claw and I remember, um, you know, getting picked up by the throat and slammed into the drywall and it breaking, having punches thrown at my head, chucked across the room, you know, that kind of thing. Um, for, you know, getting out of the routine, stepping out of the routine. Um, and, uh, you, can you tell me how old you were around that? I was like eight or nine. Okay. So you stole a donut and you got, you got your ass kicked. Yeah, yeah, I think I think theft is isn't it? I mean, I don't know why I characterize it as stealing. I got to think on that one, but it was communal donuts for the family. <laughs> oh, wait a minute! Oh, I'm sorry. I, I yeah, John, John, I had you like a ninja slipping into a donut shop. And yeah, stealing a, no, yeah. So this is at the house. This is just a yeah. box of donuts. Yeah, this is just a box of donuts. It's a community pile. Oh. I don't. I have no idea. That's interesting. That I was like, I stole it. Uh, but it was it was the family box of donuts, and um, I was like, "Today's the day. The bear claw is mine. I'm gonna taste what that glaze does." And so uh, I took it out of the box and I stuffed it under my shirt, which is really uncomfortable <laughs> with all that with all the glaze on. <laughs> and my dad's like, he was like. Uh, intelligence officer you know and he's a former cop so he like stalked me from the woods watching me pick my hide out to eat it right Mm -hmm. and i heard him the leaves crunched and i chucked it under the stairs of the back of the back door um 
we had not built a patio yet. This is these wooden stairs. I, I just chucked it like a Frisbee. Right. He, he calmly walked over and picked it out and looked at it. He's like in the house, went up to the room and just, yeah, I got beat up a little bit uh, for that. John, do you think, well, a couple of questions. Sure. Were there always donuts in the house and you just weren't allowed to have them? Um, as I got older and the science evolved, you know, because you're t- during this era, your even your basal dose had a long contour. It still does, mm-hmm. but but we're talking hours, yeah, right. So you can't stack insulin. You know, it wasn't advice, right? Because then then you're like you're gonna the waves are gonna double up on you. It's gonna get closed out, and you're gonna just die, yeah, and get yeah. pounded, right? So there's, there's no adjustment. So back in this time. That was the program. As things evolved, uh, I was like allowed plain donuts. So, in the in your memory, is it the yeah. is it the taking of the donut, um, the sneaking? Is it the mm-hmm. eating something that they thought he thought was going to impact you poorly, or was it him losing a donut? Like, do you have any context for what he was mad about? I think it's fear. You know, if I look at, I, I think if I look at, you know, the way a lot of our people are wired, fear is a driving thing and, and, um, it's a regulator and it's adapted to keep control. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I believe that he saw me as, um, a, something that needed to remain viable and that I was compromising my own viability okay so eating the donut was going to hurt you he needs to scare you into not eating that donut precisely but you describe yourself as needing the exact opposite input from somebody yeah it, it it kind of you know again it's the 80s we had neighbors doing cocaine and we didn't know it you know like there was a bunch of stuff going on with adults um bootstrap theory was Huge running rampant, yeah. you know, like pull yourself up, you know, Schwarzenegger and Rambo are like on TV, right? They're mm-hmm. all like pumped up and like, be a man, do it. So there wasn't a lot of talking. There wasn't a lot, a lot of coaching. Yeah, no, I was, was alive then too, John. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm aware of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of how force was, used to um uh i guess create compliance and then yeah. and then compliance was somehow seen as the end result like nobody was trying to teach you anything or or change your mind they were just trying to put you in a position where you wouldn't do it again yes does that yes. make sense it does yeah. it's absolutely true and the uh i i think the the ancestral culture feeding at into that too was one of children not really being led like you're working on the farm mm-hmm. accidents are your teachers right yeah yeah you know lose a finger it won't happen again this was not outside the realm of everyone's experience right um yeah it is an interesting um conversation it's not really for today but it, that as the world gets easier and people's lives get easier they do have fewer and fewer teachable moments 
And mm. there is no one. I mean, in another generation or so, there won't even be not. I, I can't. The way I'm saying this is going to come off wrong for a second. I'm not saying we need more of your dad. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But, but, but <laughs> yeah. what I am saying is that guys like your dad are going to be gone pretty soon. Yes. You, you know what I mean? And um, and maybe that's good. And maybe it's a maybe it would have just been better if your dad would have understood better how to handle you, but still had a kernel of that idea in his head of, you know, you, you do need to teach people how to how to steal themselves up and how to how to be responsible for themselves. Like there's a balance in there. Obviously, we don't mm-hmm. want we don't want responsibility and fortitude to come from you ending up in the dining room from the den. You, you know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. but, but, but somebody, but where does that come from? I mean, I'm a parent and I, I've wondered about it for years. Like where do my kids get their experiences from? Um, and now, you know, every kid you talk to seems to say that they're uh, anxious or they feel stress. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I didn't know what anxiety or stress was. I'm sure I had it, but I wasn't aware of what it was as a child I mean, if you would have asked me as a kid, do you feel anxious? I don't know that I would have known what you were talking about. And now I don't think you can find a kid who is not aware of that. Yeah, that's, you know, to be honest, I didn't know I was anxious until 10 years ago. I didn't know what that was called. Yeah, the the, the vernacular, the attention, the coaching, the, and the conditions you know, to treat it, to deal with it, acknowledge it, you know, all those things have changed drastically. Right. And and so there's a moment in your life where someone, you needed someone, an adult, to mm. see your situation and say, mm. wow, John is, I mean, I don't know what they would have called it back then. They probably would have said, John looks nervous, you know what I mean? Or something. I don't mm-hmm. know what word they would have used, but he could use a hand here and not a hand in his head, you know, but but a helping hand. And then when that doesn't come, is that when you start self-medicating yourself? Well, it just, yeah, I think, you know, I didn't, I don't know. I kind of resigned myself in part. I had these, every time I was hospitalized, I had these conversations with myself. Um, You know, I had some rough stretches that ended up in the hospital. I would have these conversations about tapping into my own will to, um, persevere, get myself through it. And every time I did that, I took more mental responsibility off my parents because mm-hmm. I, I saw how it impacted them. You know, they're like missing work or their stress or um, they'd be like, you're sick again, you know, this kind of thing. And I was like, well, that's not good for me. And that's not good for them. Yeah. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and do it. I never thought that it was anyone else's responsibility or hoped for that or, and not necessarily responsibility isn't the best word, but, um, I never thought I needed help, you know, mm-hmm. at the same time, I, I would find myself sometimes going to bed saying, help, 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 help over the, you know, uh, um, yeah, over periods of time, just under your breath, really just, just under your breath. I need some help. Yeah. 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 And you know, I was having panic attacks. Right. And I'm like, I don't, but I didn't know what that was, but I would say that or, you know, have these little spurts of compulsive behavior, right? For instance, uh, give an example. Well, just with having conversations in my head about um, how I didn't do something right or control a situation well enough, bad grade, was late, um, 
pick the wrong belt, shoes aren't tied and, um, start talking to myself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I was not really well received socially either, okay. you know, and under those conditions, I just, I thought that the way forward was just, you just continue to will through it and you'll be all right. You know, yeah. um, what, what I the- think it would have been ideal to have an adult there to be like, Hey man, <laughs> Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm asking in hindsight, like, what does the alternative to, I mean, obviously what you were told, just get, get, get past it, get over it, for, keep fighting. But mm-hmm. do you have any, do you have children now yourself? I do. I have two. All right. So what, yep. what, what would you tell them in that situation if they were in your situation? That my first thought was was to just not even have them in that situation. <laughs> I would I would never create conditions or be like I'd be like if you encounter any of these right. Well, what if they toxic just fe- ideas? You get get out of there, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, what if they just felt like they were failing something, and it wasn't that because does someone, happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, that's I. I just tell them that failure is the is a very very significant and important part of life it's like embrace it wholly do you think people Um, believe that when you tell them that no but the i I think over the years what's theoretically turned out to be true is if you have it in the body somewhere where they can experience it in their body i'm not talking about abuse like hitting people like you fail bad you know bad stimulus but fortunately both of my kids are athletes. My son's a rock climber, for example. Mm-hmm. So he knows about process and he'll, you know, hit, uh, 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 you know, try to tackle, uh, and, uh, problem on the rocks. And it'll take him sometimes two or three weeks of falling off, just trying to get that one hole. Yeah. But then he finally sends it. And if I feel like if you have, things like that in your life to, for me, the physical component was huge to actually embody it, the process of failure and transforming that into an understanding. I don't want to say success, just an understanding of what wasn't there before and how you move forward. And then that's great. And both the kids have that. Mm. Um, And they have me on the side saying what I just said to you, and I'm really verbose and annoying. So I, you know, that's another thing. I think that adds stress to him, you know. You think you talk too um, much? Oh, yeah. Way too much. Do you have a feeling like you know how things can go wrong and you want to make sure people understand what those paths are so they don't take them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely part of the fuel. It's crazy, though, because they still have to have their own experiences. They, can't. they fall out of the tree no matter what we do. Yeah, John, it's one of the real um it's one of the real shortcomings of human beings <laughs> is that they <sighs> is that they can't just be pointed backwards for five seconds and said, Hey, look, do you see this tale of you know uh of woe here? Don't do that. If you don't do yeah. that, you can skip this whole part of life and move on to this thing. And and we can't we can't do that. Like it's just not, no. you know, it's not. I don't know. It just doesn't work for some reason. I mean, you can you can explain things, try to put them into context. You can you know bring them up in the moment when they happen. And still, in all, I don't think that in that moment you can turn someone's ship for them. 
I think you no. can I think you can show them the you can show them the skyline, right? So they can look out and and see the what is it, the horizon line and and think, okay, well, maybe there is something out there that I can't see right now, but he might be right. That's the direction to go in. And you yeah. have to you have to hope that something you say today impacts them in the future because it's just very nothing works like a television show like nobody has an aha moment where they're like oh my god the old man in the park was right (laughs) (laughs) i have to go home and apologize to my mom right now (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. that just doesn't work but at the same time you know i heard you say it earlier you tried to put your dad into context um you know a veteran of a of a terrible of a terrible war and a police officer on top of that. So his job was even to tell people what to do. And mm-hmm. in his line of work, I'm going to guess, if people don't listen, they die. And yeah. and if you're forceful enough with people, they listen. Those seem like those were probably his his lessons. Yes, yes. And the longer you're, and I think the longer that you're in that position, and that's an exact account and i I think it's you know the longer you're in it the more you're going to get burned out and your patience is going to um shorten yeah for sure do you think that happened to him yeah do you think he had ptsd from fighting oh yeah we used to you know i used to come out to use the bathroom at like 3 a.m and he would be crouched behind the couch looking for charlie oh my god you know yeah Oh. You know, and uh, my mom would have to come out and wake him up. Uh, if you went up to him in public without signaling like, hey, dad, if you just touched him, you'd have an elbow two inches from your face. He was he was always ready to fight. Yeah. 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 He just, uh, you know, uh, really, really tightly wound. <laughs> you I'll know, tell you what. And for good reason. Yeah. I'm not sticking up for him, John, but you put me in that jungle and have people shoot at me. I'd be tightly wound too. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when, so what comes first? Does the self-harm come first or does the drinking come first? The Omnipod 5 automated insulin delivery system is here. Omnipod 5 is the only tubeless automated insulin delivery system that integrates with the Dexcom G6 CGM, and it uses smart adjust technology to automatically adjust the insulin delivery every five minutes. You understand what I'm saying? Helping you to protect against highs and lows without multiple daily injections. Omnipod 5 is currently cleared for people with type 1 diabetes ages 6 and older, and you have the option to control it all from a compatible smartphone. Omnipod 5 is also available through the pharmacy, which means you can get started without the four-year durable medical equipment contract that comes with most insulin pumps, even if you're currently in warranty with another system. Catch my drift? To get started with Omnipod 5, all you have to do is go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box. The Omnipod 5 is everything that you loved about the Omnipod Dash with an additional uh, zhuzh, you know what I'm saying? A little extra something, something, an automated insulin delivery system. It's an algorithm, baby. It's making decisions so you don't have to. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. If you're not ready for an algorithm, there's no pressure. You can still get the Omnipod Dash right at the same link. 
omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. As a matter of fact, you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Go find out. For full safety and risk information, a list of compatible smartphones, and free trial terms and conditions, head on over to omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Well, now that you know what insulin pump you're going to get, have you thought much about your glucose meter? I bet you haven't. I bet you just took the one the doctor gave you. But the truth is, there are many glucose meters in the world. They are not all created equally. But if you want a great one, in my opinion, you should check out the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. You would do that at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Why would you do that? Well, accuracy is important, right? You're making decisions about carbohydrates and insulin based on that number. And that number needs to be right. Perhaps you're living in a world where continuous glucose monitors are a part of your life. And you think, Scott, I've got a CGM. I don't need a meter. Well, that's not right. You still need a meter. And again, if you're going to get a meter, you might as well get an accurate one. One that you can rely on, that's easy to carry and hold and use in the dark. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. By far and away, my favorite blood glucose meter in I mean, seriously, in all of the years that Arden has had diabetes, I've held a lot of meters and used a lot of meters. And the Contour Next One, hands down the way to go. So like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you're enjoying the Juice Box podcast, if you love that it's free, if you love that it's plentiful, in part, you have to thank the sponsors. They're the ones that make it possible for me to do this. Having said that, I don't want you buying something you don't want. But if you're interested in the Omnipod 5 or the Contour Next One, please... It is so simple to support the podcast. Just find one of my links and click on it. Or take the time to type it into a browser. Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Well, because kids it, start it was, with drinking, it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there was like the bag got too full, and the agreements that I was making about taking responsibility for myself and taking it away from other people mentally, you couldn't hold it up. Couldn't hold it up, and there was all this new information, you know. And I was already aware, like especially like if you take your common primate experience of being like. I'm attracted to that person, like, you know, uh, girls, mm-hmm. right? This kind of thing. I felt like a little bit like Frankenstein's monster. Like that thought set in, you know, the conflict between transforming nature and nature's expression. Should I be here or should I not? We're messing around. We're harvesting, you know, uh, animal body parts to make fluids for you. And why? You know, this kind of thing. You had good real thoughts about that you were supposed to not exist? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I was like, uh, my body's trying to kill me. And why are we fighting it? Yeah. And then I started reading the literature, you know, um, the, the, you know, alienation, conflicts with modernity, right? Transforming nature and transforming ourselves and the consequences. I started diving into that when I was like 13. 
And then right about then I started stealing cigarettes from my mom. And this is night we, you know, behind all this, we're talking about peeing on sticks and like really poorly calibrated blood uh, meters, right? Yeah. So not only are you having uh, existential ideas at 13, which by the way, you might have been the only 13 year old that shouldn't have had a library card, but. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. But on top of that, your day to day slog is it's not fun and it's not particularly helpful to you either. Cause it sounds like your blood sugars are bouncing all over the place. You've oh been, man. Yeah. That was a significant side of rebellion. I have a friend still who's, you know, I'm 46. He's 46. He's like, you still eating peanut M&Ms? Cause I used to sneak peanut M&Ms whenever we get out of the house. Like, um, I would have the, the money in my pocket, you know? Um, and who knows? I, I know now what that probably did to me mentally. Yeah. Because, uh, again, the body is just primary. Like, being able to um, have the most optimal state of affairs inside in, in terms of, like, your just physical baseline. Just, it's so important. And it extends to everything. I believe that. And uh, back then, I just, <laughs> I had no concept. So I was doing that, stealing cigarettes and, um, you know, listening to Jimi Hendrix constantly, playing guitar, learning how to play Jimi Hendrix. And then so uh, marijuana came in through the door Mm -hmm. and um, then it was just off to the races. I was supposed to go to college and got in this huge conflict with my father. And mind you, I was so mentally steeled that I was alone and this was my deal that people used to, you know, like yell at me, threaten me at this point, And I'd be like, just ignore them, you know? And they'd be like this punishment, that punishment. I'd be like, I don't even care. Go yeah. ahead. Right. Yeah, um, you're an Island and they can't touch you. Yep. Right. Yep. It's, it's I'm alone. It's interesting um, that that started out of your concern for your parents. And then to see where it went to is disturbing, really, Um, you know, in hindsight, as a person who raised children. So at first, you're like, let me just this thing's a mess. It's a mess for me. It's a mess for them. Why don't I just make it a mess for me? Cut them a break. And, Mm -hmm. And then obviously, you're too young to take on all that on your own. You needed other people to help shoulder the burden for you. And and then by the time you realized you couldn't do it it was, you didn't have anywhere else to move the the load to. No. So you had to find a way for it to feel lighter without putting it down. Does that make yep. sense? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's accurate. Okay. There wasn't even a language. Around like I that. couldn't even tell you like, this is just too hard. Yeah. There, there was just no, everything was just walled right. in. Right. You're, you're a teapot with no, with no place for the steam to come out. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, it it really uh escalated and and uh I started having these kind of um scenarios play out with the parents where we would just say my mother would be like, I can't deal with it. My father would be like my father was out on the road like having affairs and working sixty hours a week. <laughs> 
so so when he came back he was like i'm not dealing with this yeah i'm, and, I'm and busy giving the- other ladies babies with diabetes give me a second here yeah yeah, 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 yeah. it just you know you're just like my god uh no one wanted to deal and again symptom of the same thing you you had just mentioned like they didn't know how to get rid of their own steam they didn't even know uh if I asked my mother now if she was ever anxious, she'd be like, no. No, but she was constantly. She's a case. Yeah. Sucking on yeah. those cigarettes and trying to keep it all together. And, and yeah. you'd, you'd, I'll tell you, I know this is generalizing and everybody doesn't fit in this category, but we might be the first generation of men, you and I, at our age, who grew up with some sort of an expectation that we had to be nice to the women we were with. Like, mm. like, seriously, like, my dad did the same exact thing. Like, the second, like, anything was like, well, this isn't fun. He's like, I'll just go have sex with different women instead of this lady. And mm-hmm. and it just, it, it was, it's commonplace. I'm not certain it's not commonplace now. I'm not, you know, I, I don't know. I do know people who, I mean, I know cheating still fairly, you know, I'm, I'm sure it happens. I don't know if it's a coin flip as to whether or not you're being cheated on, but I know you have a decent chance of it happening. But mm-hmm. that idea of um, that that time, it's just something that people won't know if they weren't there. You know, like there was a time, I, I think I've said it on here before, but my my dad disagreed with something I was saying. I don't even remember what it was. And he wanted me to agree with him. And I held my ground. And he just hit me and then would ask me after he hit me each time if I changed my mind or not. Oh man, that sounds bad. Yeah. And then I fell, like I tripped. I think he hit me once and I stumbled over the coffee table maybe. And I ended up on the floor and I remember thinking, oh, well, here's some respite. He can't reach me. But then he just decided to use his foot instead. And it was, and I remember looking up at my mom who was just in a corner, scared out of her mind. Yeah. And I thought, well, she's not going to help me. And now I have to make a decision. Am I going to tell him what he wants to hear? Or am I going to, I mean, I already took it. Like, why would I give up now? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and so I, I know how you grew up, man. Like, I don't know, as you're talking, I think to myself, I don't know why I didn't end up drinking and high. I, you're it's, fortunate. You're unfortunate. I mean, like that, you're unfortunate. That that hurts me to hear. And I don't mean that like you shouldn't have said it, but I mean, that just, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you have real context for it. Like that's just really rough, man. Yeah. No, I appreciate it's, it. It's 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 I, I I do I appreciate your 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 kind words. I I don't know if I'm I don't even know if okay is the right word. Yeah. Right? Like all I know is it made me not want to be like him in like that. And I tried, you know, very hard not to to put that on my family as I got older, but I'll tell you that without my wife, there were paths I would have absolutely tumbled down because right. I just didn't know a better way. Like I'd be surprised if the first time one of your kids got crazy, it didn't occur to you to smack them because it probably felt like what you do in that situation. You know, those, I, I feel like those, yeah, yeah it, it's, I feel like those, there's a sense of rebellion that drives my behavior now to try to transform the situation. That is definitely true. Mm-hmm. It's a chicken or the egg argument. Was I exposed to such to- toxic um, scenarios, toxic in the sense that they felt so horrible to me that I wanted to change my life? Or if I just naturally uh, 
was kind of like a peace loving guy. And I've, ex- I've explored both yeah. and their e- extremes, you know, and what do you, I think? just got to, I just got to say, I do not like seeing people get hurt. I just don't. I just never have. It sickens me mm-hmm. to think of not only power, powerless individuals, but even, um, you know, people that you don't like taking a, a hard hit. I'm just not wired like that. Yeah. Um, and I, Jonathan, I can tell you that I saw, I witnessed my mom cry once after my dad left her. And that one experience, that one evening of my life, I couldn't, I couldn't do that to a woman for anything. Yeah. I yeah, couldn't yeah. bring myself to do it. Like, I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, if my wife was downstairs right now with 10 guys and a table full of blow and, and lied to me every day about <laughs> who she was and then came to me and said, guess what? I have sex with everybody in the neighborhood and I'm a heroin addict. And I, I'd be like, I couldn't leave. I, I couldn't yeah. like, I, I, I know I couldn't because it just, because I had that one moment, like I saw my mom crumble, like she was lower than a person should be. And yeah. and it broke her. And I don't want to be responsible for making someone feel that way. No, no, me neither. Yeah. I, I think that extends to kids too, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, I, I intuit that especially um, my son is a lot like I am. A lot of the males in the family seem to have that kind of fear-based thing. Is it cultures of biology? I, you know, probably a little bit of both. But um, the experience of those things, seeing scenarios, you know, like you're describing, you went through all you know, and with the OCD and perfectionist contour that um, came with the uh, weird mental exercises to survive, I've just pushed myself to try to stay as far away from that ledge as I can. And do I see it there when the anger really rears up? Yes. Have I raised my voice? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, have I put my hands on people or wanted to, um, you know, manhandle them in any way? Never. Never. Um, I just, and, you know, contact sports, violent sports were a part of my therapy to try to find out who I was too later after I got sober. Hmm. Well, when did, tell me about a little bit about that, that journey. So you said cigarettes, weed, then it exploded from there for context. What did you go to next? Um, so I had this big fight with my dad and I ran away. I ran away. I actually took, um, some stuff of his and I pawned it for, um, drugs. Mm-hmm. And, um, this was like when I was 18 and I ended up eating these mushrooms and going out in this cherry field and walking around for like six hours saying, I just want to be good. I just want to be good. I just want to be good. And when I came down, I was like, I can't do that here. And this was actually the second time I left. First time I just ran away um, to East Lansing and then started um, 
smoking and drinking and running with like college age kids and then realizing like they had lives, they had classes. I thought I'm going to go to college again. Um, so I tried to last a semester in community college that didn't work out, ended up in a cherry field on mushrooms and, uh, you know, with the, with the mantra, you know, I just want to be good. I just want to be good. Mm -hmm. And called up a friend in Arkansas that I had met at the semester of school was like, do you have room for me? And he's like, yeah. And, uh, I took more mushrooms and LSD and hopped on a plane and left, got down there with $20. And, um, you know, I'm still on my parents' insurance, fortunately. Um, so I had access to medication, but then from there I went to like a seven year period of playing in bands, traveling across the country and ingesting, you know, all kinds of substances and primarily like hallucinogenics, um, you know, and I had a friend who once we were talking about those days and she had worked with a lot of people who had used drugs and stuff. And, uh, she said, uh, are you still there? I am. I'm listening intently. Sorry. Sorry. Don't be sorry. Uh, she had said, uh, you were always trying to get out of your body while most people are trying to, um, live with it or get, get into it, you know? Um, experience life with their friends, be young, um, find out who they are and what they want to do. And you were always trying to eject out of this thing. Like it's, but, but you don't want to kill yourself. I say, yeah, that sounds about right. And, And meanwhile, you know, I'm talking about playing gigs where I've got this anxiety disorder and I eaten so much LSD that I couldn't see a foot in front of my face. And, but I could hear myself playing the whole show (laughs) on a mountaintop somewhere or like in some old commune from some hippies that ran away from the Vietnam draft in um, the the 1970s, right? They had land real cheap in the Ozarks. So they all sent it out there back at you, dad. He was out killing commies. These people were out partying in the woods. And so I chose them. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, I would just be, and all the while, you know, type one diabetic, you know, just yeah, doing the stuff. I, I keep thinking about how poor your control must've been as you're talking through all this. Like, were you putting much effort into the diabetes at all? The only thing that I did was I took long acting. I woke up, I took long acting. And then when I thought I had eaten enough, um, I would be like, okay, that's a meal. There's bread on this plate. There's that. Not, Not weighing, not measuring, not counting carbs, nothing. But a doctor was still giving you insulin. But were you seeing a doctor for... Any kind of regular checkups? No, just once in a great while. Do you have any idea what you think, what your A1C was? Did you ever get one? Never. No. Never during that time. I have no idea. I can't imagine it was really good. I mean, it, (laughs) I was, (laughs) 
I can't imagine either. It, it was, it was, uh, you know, um, I was like drinking stouts <laughs> nightly and just as high as you can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not, you know, I'm, I'm laughing, but really I should be dead. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, it's, it's now some of the things that some of the consequences, it's not a consequence free story because I did have run-ins with the fire department. Like I fought, <laughs> I fought some of the guys on the Fayetteville uh, fire department. Um, and, uh, after having a seizure and passing out, that happened a couple of times. And, uh, you know, I take them a Christmas card and apologize. Uh but uh, I was just running around doing stuff like that. Yeah. I, I had, uh, and placing bets, you know, placing bets. I remember we went up to um, the White Mountains and uh, we were up on the top. And I was like, I've got these, you know, I've got some forces that are against me in my body and I cannot get them out. You know, I'm taking all these mushrooms to try to vomit it out and try to blow my consciousness out through the ceiling to see if I can get around it and try to understand what it is. I'm like, I can't. So if creation wants me to, to not be here, uh, let's run the bet. So I stripped down naked and they have like a rock lined driveway. And, um, you know, you're talking about hundreds of feet down and death. They have a sign up there. Like this number, this many people died. Um, here last year and here's the total number of deaths and i just ran on that rock wall being like come on mm-hmm. you want me to fall off and plummet let's do this right and i made it down to camp you know and showed up out of my mind naked in the moonlight and everyone was like out of your well, clothes yeah <laughs> Well, I guess everyone wants you, you know, like, yes, you're supposed to be here, you know, after I explained what I was doing, rambled on. Right. But I was like out doing stuff like that, um, not checking blood sugars, not seeing doctors. Yeah. Uh, was that part of it from the family? Was that part of it too? Was not paying attention to the diabetes part of you saying, like, go ahead, take me if you want? Or was that you just not even having any context for how to take care of yourself? Uh, you know, there's the, the, it's both. Mm -hmm. I never looked, I'm sure the, the tools have evolved and, and they were evolving then I didn't look into it. So there was an absence of context there. And I definitely didn't have the awareness I have now, what it's like to keep that good foundation in your physiology. Right. Right. So what, what happens then when, when, when you try time and again to, to get taken and it doesn't happen, what turns this around for you? Is it going to be a woman? Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, cause at this time, you know, I've been asked about the promiscuity thing, right? Like, did you engage in high risk, you know, uh, sexual behavior? And I was like, no, I didn't want to connect with anybody. Um, but I, I, uh, and we lived through the 1980s, you know, as well. And the HIV, um, AIDS, um, you know, threat. And, and I saw what that did to people, Yeah, you know, and I was just horrified. I was like, Oh my gosh, we're all so vulnerable. Um, 
the people are trying to uh, connect and express themselves and, and, and they're meeting this end. This is just, you know, so I was pretty locked down in that regard. Um, so of all the trails that I could have taken to like reach out to a woman or a partner, I didn't, mm-hmm. it came down to me not wanting to hurt people. I kept uh, disappointing people because I, I came home and I to Michigan, I got off all the drugs but stuck to the alcohol. And I found myself on the back roads at night having bets. Like if this curve wants to take me, go ahead. Mm. You know, like I can't stop this. Yeah. Just Um, suicidal the whole time, really. Yeah. And just blacking out, you know, time traveling. Hey, did your dad drink? He did not really. He did not drink. He, he knew that his biological father killed himself drinking when he was 29 which is hard to do like yeah, you have to really it's an go effort. At it. yeah it's an effort yeah Rob. um so he was like i'm not doing that um but we had alcoholics you know in all the branches mm-hmm. for sure how old are your kids uh 14 and 16 14 and 16 how do you think they're shaping up mm. like who do you think, I think they're do you know what I mean? Like what parts of you that are good are they keeping and what things do you think they'll fight with? You know, they have, they're definitely their own people. They're such their own people. I'm, I'm one of those dads that's annoying uh, in how I wonder at them. Like they're, they're fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. They're really, really, really incredible. Um, they, are capable of things that I've never dreamed of. And I've kind of adjusted to this place of being along for the ride because I know if I get ahead of it and try to direct too much of it or inform it, I'm going to mess it up uh, for them. But I'm a happy guy along the way, but that takes practice and upkeep. And and they're just, they're so impressive. They're so impressive. Well, you they, made a, I'm just going to say you made a big leap from your father and it sounds like he made a big one. For, it, it's crazy, isn't it? But just having a tiny bit of context about your grandfather makes you realize how far your dad came. Like there must've yeah. been times in his life where he was like, at least I'm here. You, you, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm here trying to help. Um, yeah. He must've felt like he had done quite a thing getting from where he started to where he was. And, but you've um, eclipsed that obviously. How much of that do you think? I hear people talk about this all the time, but I don't get to ask many people about it. Do, do you think, how much of that do you give credit to the, the psychedelic stuff? Do you think the mushrooms helped you get past this stuff? Or do you think it slowed you from figuring things out? I've got a spliced view on it. Right? There, mm-hmm. There's definite insights to be gotten from that. Um, but there's trade-offs. And since then, since not since dropping it, I've gotten more insights through exercise and breathing and, and breathing exercises. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I study Hindustani, Hindustani uh, classical music and watch and listen and ask questions about people's process through that. And uh, I was pointed to an interview with Ravi Shankar, who said, uh, in reflecting on what the hippies were doing, 
He said, yes, you get insights, but it's a shortcut. It's a shortcut. Okay. It's too much information. It's, you know, a lot of people, I think, and this is true for myself, and I'm not branding anybody anything or putting anybody down, but I think a lot of people enter the experiment and then they're looking for a culture to provide them a map through it or the possibilities while they're engaging in that practice. And if you look to yourself, you're going to find yourself asking for some cultural references. And I think when you look to American society, some of those maps are pretty limited and can be kind of dangerous or disappointing. Mm -hmm. Some of them can be great too. There's great experiences to be had, but it gave me some insight for sure, but there were definite trade-offs. Okay. Um, Yeah. um, So, but so you, you went home, you stopped drinking because you felt like you were hurting people. Who, who were mm -hmm. you hurting your mom? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, you, you, you go home to make it up to her. It was, it, it was, it was just a family. It was my mom. It was my dad. It was everybody. It was, it was, it was this kind of like, you've disappointed everybody. Um, we've worked so hard to keep you alive. You know, um, you've got this horrible disease. Why do you keep scaring people? And why can't you stop? Mm hmm. I was like, that's a good question. I don't know why I can't stop, right? Uh, so I was like, uh, and then I had friends who were dying. Okay. You know, I started hanging around like really dangerous people, um, which sometimes music will make you do. There's like that, I guess it's always been there. It's not um, era specific, but, you know, I, I started hanging out and I was not like on their team don't get the don't get the wrong idea but because i was a musician you know bikers started coming around mm -hmm. and then it'd be like well we're having this gathering out in the woods why don't you come jam out there and you know i saw people with like felonies like <laughs> slicing each other up and doing surgeries on foosball tables you know like being locked in uh in a room and then have them making a vow of silence <laughs> and be like, if we ever hear that you talk about this, you know, we're coming to get you You'd like stuff like that. So, you know, there was just like a lot of this dangerous energy that was ending up in these really, really bad consequences. And then I have friends who started to die or like kill themselves. And I was like, I don't want to do that. My family's hurting. I'm going to go be an academic. Um, this was like after a tour out in New Mexico. And, uh, you know, I had some insights there. And, and uh, so it's like, well, college is going to fix it. But that didn't stop the drinking. Mm -hmm. So then it became really, really glaring that even if you're trying to live in a good way or take a good line or like do a legitimate thing by being an academic, you still can't stop your effed up behavior. Okay. It finds you. And so I went into a um, recovery program. All right. And that, so, so when you go, so what's the time frame between you fencing your dad's stuff, taken off and ended mm -hmm. up in recovery? How long was that? That had been nearly a decade. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So you came home at like in your late twenties. Yes. Yeah. Your mom and dad still together when you get there? Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Um, how long did recovery go and did it work the first time or did you have to do it a number of times? I never, I never, uh, you know, I woke up hungover and I was like, I never want to drink again. I used to have conversations and these would happen during like the suicide bouts too, where, um, I always like, I think my psyche's constructed like a voice chamber, mm-hmm. uh, where I sound off to things and I'd ask questions. I'd be like, am I going to make it through this? Are you going to keep me here? And be like, yes, you're not done yet. All right. Wake up after ODing on pills. Right. Or, uh, the same thing with the drinking. I was like, have you got this? Can you take this? I can't do this anymore. You're done. Um, and I didn't drink again. And, uh, you know, the following year was cigarettes. Like I'm done with this. Yeah. You know, can you, can you take it and be like, yeah. And I'm not calling out to any particular entity. It's just having that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I did that. I, I went and I found community there for a while, but I also found myself attracted to really rigid personalities. Um, Cause that's what I came up with. So I learned a lot about that. Like your father. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I took on, you know, like sponsors and people who were really, really rigid and I got a lot of help. Um, but I also learned a lot about myself and, um, where to let go, uh, when to let go of, of advice. Okay. Um, one, you know, at what point do you, think, oh, yeah, I have diabetes. I should probably check on that. So it's always consequence driven. Okay. It was always consequence driven, you know. So um, I ended up out on the East Coast barely. Um, I I had gotten married, uh, and that just was not going well. Two kids, and that was breaking down. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, separation process starts happening and lawyers are looking through everything and the diabetes is on the forefront. Mm. Fortunately, I did not have an A1C above an eight at this time. Okay. Um, seems like a miracle. It truly is. And, And they, they had, uh, you know, I, so I had lawyers who said, well, you know, the average is they, they say that he's only at risk if he gets above an eight. There's more nuance to that. Sure. Right. But a quick web search will pull that up. You can find it. Right. And, uh, you know, that's when I was like, all right, we got to keep this thing in, in check. But that put me on the search to try to start exploring um, my own physiology and the underlying mechanics. Okay. And, uh, you know, got into therapy, made a great, met, met, uh, a great therapist, made an appointment and she read out of the DSM, uh, the diagnostic manual, the fourth edition anxiety, uh, definition of anxiety. And I was like, I have that. It's the first time I'm hearing that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then started reading up on that. Oh, cortisol production, adrenaline dumps. All of this impacts blood sugars too. All you know. Yeah. And uh, started paying more attention. 
And then realizing that my emotional states were impacting my family, I need to get a hold of it, right? But there was like an escalating decline going on. I had, you know, my eyes were still good, uh, still passing those basic tests that you have with the doctors. But see, 2020, June of 2020, um, a couple weeks out from um, some COVID-related stuff, I all of a sudden wasn't, my stomach wasn't empty. And uh, like I'm throwing up in the yard, you know? Okay. And uh, go to the, my wife's finally like, you go to that emergency room. I'm like, fine. I get in there and the, the, this doctor's like, I think you have gastroparesis. And he prescribes Reglan. It's like, you need to follow up with a gastro uh, Enterologist, spe- yeah. specialist yeah. yeah, and and get this checked out. And we're going to notify your doctor. I was like, all right. And then there was a nurse there who was like in the trenches, battle scarred nurse from Boston. She's like, this is how it goes for you diabetics. You know, that's the horrible Boston accent. But I still remember how she said it. She was like, this is just... This is it. This is how it goes. It's unfortunate, but you're going to, if this is, you know, I'm like, okay. And uh, from there, it was, you know, confirmed by two specialists. So your gastroparesis has set in. Yeah. So your, your stomach is so ill equipped at this point to digest your food. Yes. That you're vomiting because it's not going down. Correct. Yeah. Well, that'll definitely get you to the hospital. So, um, did the medication help? It helped in some respects. You know, I, I it brought up more questions. So it induced motility, but not much absorption. Mm-hmm. So I would have food flush flush out. And part of the idea, according to one practitioner that I met with. This is like, you know, uh, a bad spark plug in your system. Sometimes if you get a new one in there and you, and you, um, and it connects, the rest will start firing up their system will reset. You don't have to stay on regular forever. Right. Uh, um, so give that a go. And she's a type one too. She actually had like a, a transplant. Okay. Um, you know, so I believe what she said, uh, but I kept dropping weight <laughs> while I'm on the regular and then. About a month and a half into it, I started getting like um, tremors in my hand if I was taking it twice a day. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's not good. We need to research the side effects. And she had mentioned side effects. And I'm like, okay, for some people, prolonged use can lead to some really bad stuff. Um, you know, it, it, what do we do to get the signal through? Because uh, at that point, I had been also diagnosed with autonomic neuropathy. I had gait issues as well. Like, oh, okay. like, can't stand, can't stand uh, without swaying and um, getting getting tipsy. Mm-hmm. And people just kept giving me these like Xerox, of, like here's the foods that you can eat, and they would be like black and white pictures of like rice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, or or just like these soft foods, 
And I'm like, okay. And they're like, just eat less of it and do this. And I'm just like, is this a hope for the best thing? Like we're really driving without seatbelts now. Like I really, I asked for it. I called it out now I've got it. And it's a really long dose, you know? So yeah, so uh, they're, they're giving you lists of foods. Like, let me, let me try to guess, uh, no raw foods, nothing with skin, low, f- yeah. low fat, no cheese, um, uh, low fiber too. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. Okay. Stuff that'll pass through easier in, in, in yes. your, at your stomach. But now you're saying that that on top of the medication, the stuff's going through so, so quickly, you're not getting nutrition from it either. No. Okay. No, not at all. And I'm slowing down and people are getting scared. My wife's like, what is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and folks are starting to, you know, you show up and they're like, what are you losing some pounds? Are you exercising or something? I'm like, I am not well. Yeah. Uh, so I started reading up on it and it's like, there's really not too many treatments for this generally. And I came across an article of a college athlete who had worked with a doctor at uh, Cedars and I, and he was a heart specialist because that's implicated in, uh, in autonomic neuropathy. As yeah. Well. Can I go over that for people and, real quickly? Auto- autonomic, yeah, sure. you know, autonomic neuropathy occurs when there is damage to the nerves that control Automatic body functions can affect blood pressure, temperature control, digestion, bladder function, and eventually, or even sexual function. So, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it's really, it's really, there's a lot there. There's a lot to be scared of, you know. You and probably should have told God you meant right away when you asked him to take you. <laughs> you, you that's how it works, huh? Yeah, yeah. Like, like all right. Wise acre. Yeah. Should have said yeah. I, I meant now, not slowly. <laughs> but, Jeez. Th- but thanks. Um oh that's crazy. So well so that's only a couple of years ago, you're saying. Yeah, that was June twenty twenty and yeah. and I wasn't getting a lot of answers. It was like this medication kind of hope for the best. And the stories are that there's all these experimental tr- treatments and they're talking about, you know, like electrostimulation of the brain stem, like being the next big medical intervention and there's also a rise in, in it um, in the past couple of years and i'm seeing little kids i mean getting it early on and i'm like whoa getting uh gastroparesis okay you know um i'm just like this is a really supposed to be a long-term thing and the treatments aren't there based on the people i'm talking to um so I ran across the article with the, with the college athlete and she was like, I treat it with exercise. And this practitioner at Cedar sinai the heart specialist says, keep doing it. And it's working. And she had, according to the narrative that was published um, by, by like a large media outlet, it was like, see it, something, you know, um, she had been to Canada and done all these experimental drugs and all this stuff and was on her last leg before he had suggested that she had gotten along relatively well and had a slow decline into it because of the exercise. So I was like, I'll take note of that. And I started reading about aging as a male and nutrition requirements and all these kinds of things. And I eventually landed to where I cooked everything in a crock pot because it's almost like pre-digesting it for you. Mm-hmm. And it's high protein base, 
I discovered that a lot of the soft foods that um, were carb rich actually made the gastroparesis worse and the nausea worse. Okay. Uh, I, I would have like, uh, I started getting neuropathy in my hands and feet after eating it, you know, um, hmm. bouts of it. And so uh, I started doing that and then um, created a schedule based on experimentation and trial and error where I start the day doing uh, breath retentions, which jump starts my system and gives me kind of like a, a reset. Mm-hmm. Actually, will turn my digestion on. Walk, um, eat protein-rich meals two to three times a day. Eat my weight in grams of protein plus, and um, lift at ten o'clock at night. And uh, I continue to drop weight, but have been holding at like one seventy-ish maybe about five or six weeks hmm. visiting doctors and they're like you uh you know if you get down to 160 or below we're gonna have to talk agreed but uh, for now i've been holding through there but do not have the gate issues i'm able to digest food and push it through my system and absorb it sometimes it takes five or six hours for the stomach to empty but it's working and uh, my A1C is like a 5.2. Wow. You ever try putting like a digestive enzyme with your meal? Yes. Yes. That helps yeah, as well? Yeah. No. no. Uh, I've, I've run the controls, you know, with – because my mom's like she, – she, she's the first uh, um, through the door with, with um, you know, the supplements. And I'm like, I will try it. Uh, I believe that what's working, um, what, what works best is connecting the signal um, from the brain to the body and engaging in problem-solving activity uh, physically, which is like weightlifting and the, and the breathing. That's, that's been the constant so okay. far. Um, if I don't do it, I run the controls and been like, I'm not going to do it and see what happens. I'm right back where I started. I don't even get a, a day reprieve. Right. I will be in the yard uh, throwing up Have or, you ch- and, and start to get lose my balance. Yeah. Have you changed? Um, did you change your diet at all? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I had to because the carbs, the carbs just made the um, symptoms worse. Mm-hmm. You know, I discovered that. And then I was like, all right, what's more dangerous to lose fat or to lose muscle? It's to lose muscle because okay. then you're really bedridden. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, that is, that is uh, part of the, um, the channel. It activates the channel. It's a direct signal to the brain. It's very fundamental. Um, Through all so this, you mentioned at the beginning of the of the problem that you thought your marriage was shaky, but then you mentioned her later. So has that been affected by any of this, or have you figured something out? I remarried. Ah. 
picked a better person. No, I'm just kidding. You, you, okay. So the first marriage that you mentioned did did dissolve, and you're with some, you're did. someone else now. I see. Thank goodness. Oh, okay. Because you married goodness. your dad. Because you married your dad. I married. A, it was a. I will just go ahead and say it's a difficult personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very difficult personality. Uh, but not good for the kids. Um, was the primary motivator kids with you and, or with her now? Uh, we, we had kids together, uh, and, and they ended up with me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the two children you talk about are from your first marriage. Correct. Gotcha. Yes. I, I understand. Wow. Jesus, Jonathan, that's a lot. Yeah. Are, are, yeah. I, I, are you okay? Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's all really, it's all really weird. Um, you know, and I think that the, the, the one thing about it, especially thinking about how this relates to you and your mission, I remember the, the cutter episode when you were talking about the describing all of these interviews, it reminded me of, uh, Mickey Hart's description of his drum timeline in his room. How so? The percussionist. Uh, you, how it just became this kind of like huge uh, beast, right? It became an organism. Uh, not not a beast, but an organism of its own. It's this kind of like running dialogue and it's got all this different timelines associated with it, different cultures associated with it, including technology, right? Um, including uh, cultural orientations, personalities, all these kinds of things. And Accessing that has been super helpful because I just remember a culture of silence and do it yourself and pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't talk about it. Try not to be weird in front of the other kids, all these other kinds of things. And I'm like, the resource that you've created, uh, that you've co-created, facilitated is just phenomenal. Um, so like I'm doing okay based on, on my own metrics, right? Yeah. But but uh in talking about this with you, yeah, I'm doing really good. Good. Really, really good. Well, I mean it's it's also nice to hear that you enjoy the podcast today because I did get a review today that said that the podcast would be much better if I spoke less. So <laughs> come on. <laughs> the first thing I saw this morning. Come on. I, I don't think, I don't, I think you've got, I think you're a really wise individual. And after, you know, after hearing, I'm a social researcher too. I consider you a researcher. Okay. I think like you're used to the ebb and flow of conversation where things might go and, and um, have great ideas about uh, the information that needs to be put out there. And and while letting people be them, I appreciate that. Thank you. So I, I enjoy it, and I think it's a great. I think about my mom. Like anytime someone posts in in there about a recent diagnosis, or there was even one yesterday or within the past couple of days about a, a young person, I think nine, getting gastroparesis. I re-experience the horror, and uh, you know, I just feel awful. I just feel awful. But then I'm like, you know how many awesome parents there are 
who are just ready to help at the at a keystroke and how much information and, and this backlog of expert advice and experience none of that was around when i was coming up yeah it would have and, been it would have maybe made a difference for you that's for sure although i mean this whole thing got put on you pretty quickly at a, at a young age. I mean, by, by yourself, of course, but it sounds like, but, um, you know, it, it's certainly, it's a, it's a two way street. Your parents probably didn't know anything about it. There wasn't a lot of great direction by the time there was any good, um, knowledge about diabetes, the kind that was really going to stop, you know, things like this from happening in the future. Your parents were probably well out of it by then. Just, it's hard to think about, but you just, it's bad timing. You're just diagnosed at a bad time, you know? Sure not. Yeah. Sure not. And now there's, you know, now there's just more, there's more ways to talk to people. Uh, there's more people who are willing to say things out loud. Um, and there's more people who are looking for help. So it's a, a kind of a golden age at the moment for, for information to transfer back and forth. It definitely, it, it definitely feels that way. And, and it feels like that culture is even going to, I still take uh, daily injections. Um, mm -hmm. I can't like, I'm pumps just don't work for me. Uh, yeah. I've got like too much scar tissue and uh, you know, like kinked canoes and <laughs> all this, all this kind of stuff. But, you know, people have gotten so adapted to, these new improved better um, ways for most people that it's become a new vernacular, even going to the doctor's office. And it worries me to think about parents who parents and individuals who are diagnosed and I see what putting a lid on stuff has done in my own life for the people around me involved in it and for them to have a place to come to be able to, hear other people tell their own story, but to just even vent, get support, you know, about dealing yeah. with school, school lunches, mental health, all these other kinds of things. What, how do you put a price on that? Man? Like uh, it, it, I've seen what people have done to themselves and, and how they've lasted without it. It's not, it's typically not that good. Right. Well, um, so and, I like, I'm grateful, man. I'm real grateful. No, I, I, I appreciate you saying so because it's um, it's very needed and it's one of the last things you seem to be able to drag people towards, you know, it's um, I think everybody feels like eight year old you like I can, yeah, you know, I'll do it. I'll, I can do it. It's okay. I've got it. Um, I, I somehow we get confused between being able to accomplish something and having to ignore how it feels to accomplish it if that makes sense or not like there there's, yeah. you can you can be honest about what the process is doing to you and still make it through the process it's almost like people feel like if they give it a voice then it'll run them over and i feel like that the opposite is true that's a that's a really really insightful yeah i, I sentiment but how do you make it how do you make somebody believe that because once you open your mouth it's going to happen. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So they hold it inside thinking I'll go with resolute resolute will work. And that obviously, I mean, you said it so many times, right? Like the bag kept filling up. You didn't know it was filling up. You didn't know it was getting heavier. You didn't know what to do with it. And that's going to keep happening to you. 
to to understand that you can you can take things out of the sack by just saying their name out loud, saying, you know, this is hard for me to do, and it gets a little lighter. Or I'm worried that I'm not going to be well for my whole life, and it gets a little lighter. Like, saying those things don't, doesn't make them come true. It's, um, I know a person, if you joke about cancer, I realize cancer is nothing to joke about, but if somebody makes a right. flippant comment about cancer, there are people who get, like, uptight, like you've just wished it on somebody, or that yes. it's going to happen now because you said it. You know what I mean? And I always respond to anything like that. I always say, listen, if I was in charge of that stuff, I would immediately be joking about being taller and more handsome. Like not, not, you know, I mean, I, I have no sway over whether or not a person uh, gets sick or is healthy or is happy. Like what you say doesn't make things just appear. But I think people have that. Um, I think they have that. uh it's not a fear. It's a it's such it's a word that I've I'm I'm usually not capable of coming up with. Um, when you're scared of something happening, isn't it it's like a superstition? A superstition. I can never think of that word, Jonathan, and I always imagine I can't think of it because I so don't believe in it. I've never used it in context before. But people yeah. people have such a superstition that they don't want to say I have diabetes and I'm afraid I'm going to get a complication. Or I'm afraid I'm going to die alone at night or that no one's going to want to marry me or whatever mm -hmm. the hell it is they're afraid of. They don't want to say out loud all those things weigh on them. And then it's almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you can't take good care of yourself because you're so burdened. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 That's all. Yeah. I've felt that uh, personally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just, I mean, and, it, and, and to look at it from the other side, if it happens to so many people, then isn't that just a human trait? And if so, I don't know, then is this the path? Like, do you have to like willfully knock yourself off the path of human trait to doing what actually works? Like, are we wired in a way that's, um, that's sometimes anti what we need? You yes. Know? This is Mary Shelley's predicament. Yeah. Really? I, <laughs> yeah. 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 This is, this is, you know, if are we creating a Frankenstein, you know, mm. Uh, mm. Frankenstein's monster, are we messing with what is nature in that, that context? And again, it's an outgrowth of a of a generational conversation. Like, yeah, you and I were never exposed to parsing those sentiments. No, no one would have thought about any of this. No, the way of men and, and, and women and, you know, all the like these discrete categories of like Hemingway and sad marriages with booze, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 it really is. I mean, it's kind of obvious. Like, so if it's, if it's, if it's the Frankenstein problem, it's, it's, it's that problem psychologically yep. that, that you keep adding uh, turmoil to your life, but just quietly in your head. And then you torture yourself with it because you don't let it you don't let it go anywhere. You don't deal with it or throw it away. And the, and then and then at some point it becomes overwhelming and you end up saying to somebody, I, I'm 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 anxious. Like, well, yeah, well, no shit. You, you know, like you know what I mean? Like you've you've stuffed these things into your head, maybe not on purpose, obviously, but you've stuffed all these problems into your head, and with the teapot analogy, you've given them nowhere to go. You're a powder keg at that point. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. It just seems that uh, 
what simplified it for me is, is that, you know, we're products of biology and culture and culture can get really, really weird and really strange, scary. It can produce feelings of disgust. So can biology. But at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's adaptations. Adaptations are, are, are uh, what we're looking for and they have trade-offs and the trade-offs are mental. Yeah. You know, um, I don't feel like I'm messing with nature anymore and I have to keep it a secret. Yeah. Well, you're definitely not. I think it can become, I think there's this, this feeling that life should be perfect. Like, you know what I mean? You get the baby and the baby looks Mm -hmm. perfect. And you think, well, if I don't make any mistakes, then this perfection will continue on down its path of perfection. But that's a fallacy. And so, you know, I think it would be more healthy to consider that, Things are going to occur that you are sometimes going to be great at dealing with and sometimes you're going to be terrible at dealing with. And you Mm. might have to make adjustments on either side of the equation. Like sometimes maybe you have to adjust who you are to get through a thing that is that is static that you can't move. It's set in concrete. And then maybe sometimes the thing can be changed a little bit to meet you where you exist, but that you have to always kind of on the fly Make that decision. Sometimes it's me that has to be flexible. Sometimes it's the situation that has to be flexible. Sometimes other people and situations need to help me. And sometimes I'm going to have to realize they're not going to help me and I'm going to have to help them. And you can't fall into one of those things because those those pots are not the answer. It's all those things mixed together yeah. that allow you to kind of bob and weave through life. Like you just have to I mean, there's so many simple ways to, that people say it, right? Keep your head on a swivel, stay on a surfboard. I don't know, whatever the hell you want to say, right? <laughs> right? You just need to be that little Hawaiian doll on, on, you know, on the dashboard. Like you just, yeah. the car rocks one way, you rock the other way. That's just, that's it. And I don't know how you, um, I don't know how you teach that to people. I don't know why I have that. Yeah. There are times I think that a lot of these conversations are just me trying to figure out why, there are some things I'm good at and some things I'm bad at. And why do other people get some of those things and don't get the other ones? Um, and and can you just give them to people? Like, like, is this podcast, when it's all said and done and over, is it just a freaking waste of time? Like, no. will, will it ever help people who heard it on day one? Or is it going to more help another person down the line from the person who heard it? Do you know what I mean? Like, are you fixing something in the moment or are you giving that slight turn to go back to earlier where you just kind of point people in the right, in the right direction, show them the horizon line, even though they can't tell where the hell they're going yet, give them enough trust to believe that if they move in that direction, they'll find the answer. I, I, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. All I know is I think talking about it makes sense. It does. Yeah, it does. Stories are powerful. Well, there, I know for a fact that there has been um, motivational moment list, moments listening to uh, and defining um, content that I've gotten from the podcast. Like, oh, oh that's what that is. Like the tendon in my right hand is hardening. Like, up, oh, you know, mm-hmm. oh, the publisher who's had it for over thirty years. Yeah, okay, it, you know, things like that are beyond helpful. Um, and we like stories. We like stories. You know, um, they're just important guiding forces. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, then I will just uh, dedicate this episode then to the person who sent the review that said I talk too much. <laughs> I think you should talk more. <laughs> you know what? What just... I honestly ended up seeing after what I thought after I saw it was the podcast is for who it's for. Yep. There, yeah. you know what I mean. You, you you can't make somebody like a style or not, and right. I certainly wouldn't change for. You know what I mean? I know how many people listen to the podcast today. And if one person said, I wish you wouldn't talk as much, uh, I'm, a, you know, like, all right, well, yeah, I can't change for the one person. I think I'd be alienating the others. And it's just, it's one of those things. Like, in my mind, this is what a podcast is. It's people talking. If, you know, and it's not just having someone on and saying, so you have a story, go ahead and tell it. And then never adding context or or breaking the flow of the conversation so that people can stop and think and absorb. And I don't know. I'm, I'm not worried about it. I, I thought it was, I just thought it was funny. And then you brought something up that was just in direct, um, you know, direct opposition to it. And I thought, Oh, this is a funny timing. So. Anyway. Yeah. It's just, it, it doesn't, I, I think if, if I, if I think about, okay, thinking back on the episodes and thinking about the moderating the web, the Facebook site and, the evolution of things, you know, the constant updates, all these kinds of things. It takes like a really broad skill set. And, you, you know, you, why wouldn't, to me, the question is, why wouldn't you want someone who's had over 700 conversations to tell you what they think about the thing you just said? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, you, you would. But I, it's probably a new listener and they'll either end up hating me or, or getting on board. Um, I'll tell you, I got a, I got a review a few weeks ago. It's my favorite, absolutely my favorite review, um, maybe ever. And you would think that my favorite ones are the ones who are like, I love Scott, but it's, uh, it's not like that. It's, um, it, I can't, I wouldn't be able to find it, but it's, um, oh, oh wait, maybe this is it. I have been waiting for a, my first full A1C after starting to listen to the podcast to write this review. I love this podcast. While I sometimes disagree with Scott, and I do sometimes think he's a little overconfident, he has the right, the right to be. Oh, this is maybe is nicer to me than I thought. Uh, <laughs> sorry, this isn't the one I was thinking about. There's one somewhere that says, I hate that guy. I love that podcast. Like, that's the context of it. I don't remember the actual words they use. But, but that one is my favorite because I think, wow, like a person found me. who I'm not their cup of tea. And yet yeah. they found the content so valuable. They overlook that they don't like me to listen. And um, that makes me proud of the content. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, well, the message is, is always, yeah, it's coming through strong. And especially if you want to get it, it, it will. But I, man, I, you know, like, I, I think you're in a tough position. I don't, I would have no idea. I couldn't bolus enough to deal with the pressure <laughs> <laughs> how are you well we're we're i mean we're we're done now jonathan we're finishing up like how do you feel yeah. an hour and a half later do you feel nervous still i you know the thing is it's like i have uh i've created a mental space to where i don't detect the anxiety mm -hmm. but i know physically i'm experiencing it by looking at instruments that measure so uh, just before we clicked record, uh, um, I was at, let me pull this up here. 90. 
Okay. And as soon as as we got into talking, and I pre-bowled this, right, uh, uh, for the conversation, not for food, for the conversation, I'm now cruising at 149. That's not bad. No, it's not bad, no. but it's the adrenaline and the... yeah. Hey, listen, All that stuff just goes, you know? I was recording with somebody a few weeks ago. I made these episodes for Omnipod 5 um, yeah. with a with a, with a, um, a CDE, Carrie Burgett. She's terrific. She'd never done it before. And I joked like halfway through the recording with her. And I said, how are you feeling? And she's because she was nervous when we started. She'd never done it before, which you would not know by listening to it. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm like surprisingly not as nervous as I thought. And I said, I'm oddly calm. <laughs> and I meant that because we were going over a lot of information that we were, we, we needed to cover. You know what I mean? Like this wasn't just the, this wasn't just a rambling conversation with somebody. It was, I mean, it's, it's, it's right at the beginning of the episodes. It tells you like I was compensated by, by Omnipod to make them. And yeah. so, you know, there was, there were things that we, they wanted to cover that I wanted to cover and I needed to get through them in a certain amount of time. And it, if there was ever going to be a moment where a person felt pressure, it would have been then. But I'll tell you, yeah. an hour before we recorded, I picked up the list. I read through it very quickly. It was many pages of information. And then I put it down in front of me, and I don't think I looked at it three times. And I don't have that kind of brain. I, I'm not lying, Jonathan. Like I, I don't have that kind of brain. I didn't remember the things on that paper. I, I ended up looking at the... Um, at the um, just sort of the titles of each of each kind of part on the paper. I know there's a simple word for that that I'm it's escaping me right now. But the header for each idea, I'd look down at it and I'd start talking. And even I was like, "Why am I not nervous? I should be. Like this is a thing. You know, somebody's paying me. You know what yeah. I mean? And by the way, I want it to be good content for the people listening because I, I that's a I don't do that very often at all, Jonathan. And I'm very I'm very transparent about it when I do but but I don't often like get paid to make an episode like I make an episode yeah. and I um and I sell ads on it so I'm getting paid to make the episode but that's me that's just I say whatever I want this conversation with you and I I don't I don't care where the hell this went and you know ads will go on it and I have great advertisers who aren't gonna, who don't send me notes like please don't put me on an episode where a guy tried to kill himself running down a rock wall like they don't say stuff like that to me. you know what I mean and um they don't say yeah. stuff like that yeah I'm not I'm not gonna get a note later where they're like hello yeah. it's us at Jivo Kaipo Pen could you please not put us on the mushroom episodes you know what I mean like, ah, so, yeah so everybody's really cool and um but I felt uh, obviously I felt responsible. Like I said to them, I can make these for you. And not that you care, but this goes back two years. I've been telling Omnipod for two years. When five comes out, I'd like to make episodes to help people get started with it because I, yeah. I think algorithms are going to be really important to people. Yes. And they were lovely enough to go along with the idea. And, um, and so, but, but still like there was a moment inside of it. I was like, why am I not nervous? I, I couldn't, I can't, I still don't know. I'm like, I know it sounds like a humble brag, John, but I really don't understand. And mm. it bothers me to some degree. Like there's part of me that's like, why weren't you anxious? Like, like while you were doing that, you took, I had taken money from them. Like I took the money before I recorded the thing. Mm -hmm. So like at this point now, if I mess it up, I, I got to say, Hey, I'm sorry. Here, take this back. You know, um, I never felt like that. 
And I and I, I I desperately want to understand that before I die. I want to know not just that idea, but like, why are there things I'm good at and things I'm not good at? Like, why does that happen? You know, because they're the same muscles. There's other things I'm not good at that I appear to have the tools for. And so I don't know. Anyway, it's a lot of talk. You fight how you train, man. Yeah. And and you've you've had you know you've been presenting content in person and remotely like. How many talks have you given? I, I, I just think that there's, there's, uh, there's certain muscles that are, that are, um, have been built over time. If, if they weren't there before, I don't, maybe you've had it the whole time that have been exercised to a dynamic and great extent. So it does not surprise me that you could just read a header and then be like, I don't know, Jonathan, and, I don't know if we can trust you. It sounds like you ate a lot of mushrooms about 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I've hung out with a lot of interesting people and I've seen just that, that, uh, narrative play out. Yeah. You know? Um, well, even, just, even conversationally, like now, yeah, you say something, I don't know what you're going to say. And you, yes. and, and you've been a great guest. Like you've been very, um, thoughtful and, and well-considered and your ideas are not like the, the, um, the poetry you speak in isn't, isn't average. But I've understood everything that you've said. And then when Appreciate I, yeah, no, no, it was, it was lovely. And then when I open my mouth to respond, there's no moment where my, I, I don't hear a voice in my head that says, Jonathan just said this, this, and this. What do you think of it? It just, right. it, it just, I don't know. Like why? And I, I know other people that if they were listening to you and it was their job to respond afterwards, they'd say, I, I don't know what to say. Like they wouldn't have a response. They wouldn't have a, a thought to build off of or, or anything. I just, it's a, it's a neat skill. I just wish I had more context for it. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you practice baseball every day for 20 years, you end up being good at it. You know, a little bit how you got there. I have no idea how I got there other than I used to talk myself out of things a lot when I was a kid, but I mean, so we seem like we've gotten past that. Anyway, Jonathan, I'm, uh, that, that review might be right because this is the second episode I've recorded this week. That's gone almost two hours. So that's, (laughs) (laughs) talking too much <laughs> i think it's fun i think it's fun i liked it i think it's i like hearing what goes on on the other side of the mic because i'm you know i'm aware being in that in, in the academy i see how dollars are acquired uh personnel are signed on forms are signed it, it, you know all these moving parts to get one or two questions that are really focused answered mm-hmm. and then build a 20-year career off of it Right. Yeah. And here you are. Like you've got a Mac and a microphone and, uh, you know, all this and you're pulling experience. You're out working everybody. Wow. You know, you're out working everybody uh, it, like uh, this. People are probably going to be researching your podcasts and doing um, algorithmic searches of the content. You know, mm. uh, and 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 writing about as many instances as this were was mentioned, or doing discourse analysis and all this other kind of stuff. It's good to know that um, there's a human being behind the microphone, yeah. and 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 that they're either gifted or they're just elite. <laughs> well, first of all, I'll agree with you on one thing: I am outworking other people. 
That yeah. is that I know. I think the conversations are important. I almost don't think it's important if everybody hears every one of them, because if I have four this week and you hear two of them, I still have the knowledge that came from the four when I have four more next week. That I yep. that I believe in, like just building up. I think people's I think people's experiences like I think the podcast is a repository for them, but I sort of am as well. And yeah, so yeah. Um, and while I don't remember everybody's story word for word. I think that's where the answers come from when I hear somebody say something. I, I'm like, I don't know why I know this, but here's what I think about this. And, I, and I think it comes from talking to other people. And I will, if I'll tell you, if I, if I step back from this to give myself credit for anything, I am running a major business by myself. Yeah. And um, the, uh, we, we had a moment this week, and it's just crazy. I just said we. I am the pot. There's nobody except me. <laughs> but, but I had a moment this week where I was, um, I was number 10 on Apple Podcasts um, medicine chart. Like I had gone past like Robert F. Kennedy and people who, you know, are famous and have big Maybe. platforms and have people working for them. And I thought like, wow, that's crazy. Like I did that like completely by myself. The direction of the podcast, like I talked about with Cutter is just, it's what I think it should be. Nobody gets into a meeting and tells me, don't say that or say this, or we need to say this more because there's an algorithm that Google points to like, like that. that's true. I've had SEO people tell me, do these topics. It's what people Google. And yeah. I say, well, I think they need to know this. And even if they don't know that they need to know it, I believe they do. So we're going to put out an episode about this right now. Um, Fantastic. It's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a free way to be able to, uh, to um, work, but again, without the without the advertisers, it doesn't exist. So, um, I, I would have a real job somewhere, and it wouldn't be nearly as cool as this one. I guarantee you. So, um, anyway, Jonathan, I really appreciate you doing this. Can you hold on one second for me? Sure, can. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. First off, of course, we have to thank John for coming on the show and telling that. I mean amazing story we'd also like to thank omnipod makers of the omnipod 5 and the omnipod dash and remind you to go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box the other sponsor of today's episode of course is the contour next one blood glucose meter all you have to do is go to contournext.com forward slash juice box not just to get started you can actually buy them online right on that site it's super simple give it a look if you're looking for community around type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes, check out the Juicebox Podcast Facebook page. It's private and free. It's called Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. All right, friends, I appreciate your time today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with John. I know I did. Make sure you're subscribed or following in a podcast app that helps the show and it helps you get new content. And speaking of new content, I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.